All right, well, we can go ahead and get started. People are starting to roll in. Um, appreciate everybody who joined last week with uh, our guest, Shay Dawson of Overtime. Shay was uh, an amazing guest, um, amazing human being. Invite everybody to connect with her if you can on LinkedIn or Instagram. She was fantastic. Um, this week, super excited to be joined by uh, Jason Hart of USC Men's Basketball. Coach Hart, welcome all the way from uh, California. Greetings from the East Coast. Appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you so much. Man, I appreciate you having me on, man. Anytime we can talk hoops, I'm, I'm all in. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, before we get into you and, and your career and playing and coaching and all that good stuff, wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the NBA bubble. Um, you know, we're off and running with scrimmages. Have you, have you checked any of those out? What have you thought so far? I've been watching all the NBA, the, the, the preseason games, uh, quote-unquote scrimmages, um, WNBA. So I think it's been a delight to see. It's some very good basketball. All the players look like they're in shape. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get a good product. So I'm very excited for the restart. What, uh, you know, obviously as a former NBA player, you know, what did you think of the bubble environment when – you know, before it obviously started, did you think it was going to work? Were you team bubble, team cancel the year? What What were your thoughts? Man, my initial thought was, um, man, is, is basketball that serious? But they create an environment to where if you're getting tested every day and you, you, you know, you shade it off from the world, I guess it can work. So they've shown the model that you can have for sports or in particular basketball. So hopefully uh, everybody kind of follow that model. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see, but Jared Dudley uh, said on, you know, one of these NBA shows that um, people are going to be able to see which teams are close by, you know, how they're playing, how they go through this experience. Um, you know, we've seen a ton of content now. Players have their own vlogs, they're shotgunning beers, they're golfing, the whole thing. Do you agree with that sentiment on, on how close we're going to see teams are based on what they do off the court? Well, yeah. I mean, as a, as a fan, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. As a fan, I, we, you can see, not just off the court, but the camaraderie during the games because the gym is so quiet. So the average fan now gets to hear the chatter amongst teammates, amongst coaches, and uh, it would be good for us to see uh, the life on the inside. How hard do you think it is for guys? You know, I, I think I was listening to J.J. Reddick's podcast, and he said he was shooting a free throw, and it was dead quiet. Um, how hard do you think of an adjustment that is? I mean, these guys are used to getting either cheered or booed or yelled or, you know, uh, how hard of an adjustment is that? I mean, I, I don't think it's an adjustment to have a quiet crowd. Obviously, you only have to adjust when it's loud. So it, it's more like um, you just in one of your training workout sessions. And then now it's just pure basketball. So you don't, you don't get the fans, but you get the, the, the real athletes going at each other, competing at a high level. So I just think that uh, adjusting to a, 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 a non-crowd won't be as hard. I think it doesn't matter now what seeds you are in the playoffs because home court advantage is out. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Um, awesome. Well, let's jump into the first half. want to talk about, uh, you know, your background and playing career. Let's uh, go all the way back to Syracuse. Um, you know, for, for anyone that doesn't know, you know, Coach Hart's one of the best players to ever play at Syracuse. Wanted to talk a little bit about your career and what made you choose uh, playing in, in negative 20 degree weather for most of the year. <laughs> well, um, for those that don't know, I was, uh, was sort of a late bloomer and um, I was probably good locally, but not nationally known. Um, I went to a camp in, in New Jersey, Teaneck, New Jersey, called the ABCD Adidas Camp. And uh, 
I performed at a level uh, where, where Syracuse uh, thought I was worthy of a scholarship offer. Um, I had no uh, offers prior to me going to camp. Um, nothing locally, Long Beach State, LMU, I had none of that type of stuff. So um, when Syracuse uh, came with the first offer, for me, it was an honor and a privilege. And I didn't wait around to see better offers. Um, I chose that one because that was the best fit for me. And it was a need. I went to a need. My situation was need-based where I could play right away and got a chance to start and, you know, kind of took my career from there. Um, you mentioned a lot of good points, some that we're going to get into later in terms of some of those buzzwords of, you know, you didn't wait for another offer. You went where you were needed. So I definitely want to address that. But, you know, what was it like playing for Coach Bayheim? you know, at this point now, 20 years ago? You know what? It was an experience. I mean, growing up, you 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 knew of him. I didn't follow them because they were so far from, from my home. But when they did come on TV, one of the things we always knew was Coach Jim Beheim. He was legendary. And uh, to get to get to play for him after that first week and joining Syracuse, you was kind of in awe. But after, you know, it got going, he, he became your coach. So the awe-ness kind of wore off. And it was good for me, man. I mean, he, uh, he allowed me to make some mistakes um, for four years. He allowed me to grow. He allowed me to become a man. And, uh, you know, his, his expertise in, in dealing with all different personalities is second to none. So it was an honor to play for him, man. He, he gave me complete freedom to, to become the player I was. What is the biggest misconception about Coach Behan? The biggest misconception about Coach Behan is that, um, you know, he, he's not one of these elite coaches. Yeah, and I hate to hear it. He, he always gets um, his name mentioned last to me, and I think he should go first because he's had longevity um, more than any other coach, you know, probably uh, besides Coach K. So yeah. I think just having longevity in the sport of college basketball where coaches get hired and fired uh, year after year, um, that should make him a legend in, in itself. Yeah. And then when it comes to coaching, um, he keeps it simple. Um, you know, simple, simple everything, simple defense, simple philosophy, simple plays, because simple wins. A lot of times we try to just create all this type of this action, that action, this, that. It's, to me, it's, it's just all um, misdirections to, to put the ball in the hole. So he's a great coach. He's a Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy I played for him. What are some of the things that you took from him that now is part of your coaching philosophy, part of your coaching style? Well, for me, man, I'm still, you know, I'm going to keep it simple when I become a head coach. Uh, I think simple works um, and not put so much emphasis on the other team. A lot of times the coaches, we go over everything the other team do. What they for breakfast, what they going to eat for lunch, what play they going to run at four minutes, six minutes, eight minutes. You know, my philosophy is, and people who know me is, uh, open people kill you. So if you Guarding somebody open, chances are you have a chance to win. So I'm just going to keep it simple, try to keep the players relaxed, and, and, and never lose sight of having fun in, in the game of basketball. What percentage I – always, I always love asking coaches this, but what percentage of – you make a good point about how much um, some staffs and some coaches and, and now staffs, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you know, you had two assistants and maybe one other support guy. Now – three assistants, ops, GA, video, everything, player personnel, you got it all. What percentage of um, 
you know, why we prepare so much for the other team is just so that coaches feel better about it, you know, because there's something to be said for, hey, look, we got to know at least the basics. We can't just go out there and play. But I also agree on the other side of it where, hey, if we just know our shit and we run it, you know, they got to stop us too. I've always been like torn on how much preparation we need because especially nowadays, like how much are guys remembering you know, you play a game Thursday, you got another one Sunday, like how much are they absorbing? You know what I mean? Well, I, I mean, I, I definitely, it's two sides to, to each coach's philosophy. Um, I just want to, I think it's very important that you have your principles and your rules for certain type of, certain type of situations in, in game. Yep. And then you have in-game adjustments. So each game, we're going to be who we are. And then if they throw a left hook, then we got to be able to counter with a right jab. So. Yep. Um, I think being able to to change and adapt in games, normally the, those type of coaches are the ones in the final four year after year. And I think we put so much emphasis on the other team, we kind of spook our own team to thinking that we're playing against Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, <laughs> and Shaquille O'Neal. So I think the emphasis, um, you know, that should be more is I'm going to pump my guys up more than pumping the other team up before a game. And like you said, it is – two days in between, in between games or league games. So if it's principle-based, you can play three games in one week. You know what I mean? You don't really have to know the other team plays. But if somebody open, you must guard them. So um, you just got to basically run your program off principles, and, and you should be fine. And obviously talent. You got to have talent. Yeah, of course. Love it. Um, speaking of talent, let's go back to, you know, the traditional Big East, you know, when you were playing in it. Talk about how competitive that was. And then also wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the breakup. And, and now the ACC kind of gobbled up a couple. But we'll go back to when you guys were in it. Um, I mean, it was, uh, it was the best league in the, in the world, you know, for college basketball. There was nothing better. Well, prior to me coming to Syracuse, the biggest thing that, 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 that made me want to go East and leave Los Angeles was, I would come home from school and watch Allen Iverson, Kerry Kittles, John Wallace, John Celestine, uh, uh, all these great players, Alvin, Alvin L. Williams, uh, John, Don Reed, Georgetown. So, Scooney Penn. The league on its own had, a, had marquee players, and this was before you was marketing your players. Yeah. And it just resonated with me. I wanted to get go east and, and play against the high-level talent. But I also was attracted to schools like Georgetown and Syracuse and St. John's and UConn. Those were marquee names nationally. And, and, and that's what the Big East meant to me. It meant rivalries and good coaching. And I want to be a part of that. Yep. Makes sense. And now, you know, now with Syracuse being the ACC, um, you know, Coach Beheim had some funny comments way back when about the, the dining down in Durham and him and Coach K went, you know, back and forth. But, uh, it, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, did I, I will go out and say that football kind of ruined everything and AD's got a little, you don't need to say it, but AD's got a little power hungry and wanted to have a better football team and, and it ruined it, um, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, Boston College has no business being in it and they, they should have stayed and whatever. I'll, I'll get your thoughts, but that's where I'm at with it is football ruined a lot of really good basketball traditional uh, rivalries, like you said. Well, I mean, football is king, though, in college sports. Um, I know, I know. There's so much money. And, you know, for the ACC to come up with a power football league, it was more so they had to do it. I mean, 
you know, we are in the business of, of athletics and it goes together. Um, and obviously when you can create a market where you can generate um, uh, generational wealth amongst these schools, something you have to look at. So when, when basketball was probably thought of in that, 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 that instance, it didn't have any weight because football just brings in so much revenue. It pays everybody. Yeah. So it was like a no-brainer. But I'm also happy that UConn is going back. Yeah, it's great. I'm so happy that uh, uh, the league is still thriving. They still got their their, their, their top schools. And yep. it's still going to be some good basketball. Yep, no doubt. Um, going back to your playing days, who was the best teammate you had at Syracuse and why? Man, you know what? Um, I, I got to say I had a lot of teammates um, that I consider, quote, unquote, the best teammates. I got along with every one of my teammates. We never had any problems. Uh, Alan Griffin, to come to mind, um, he and I, we had a, a great connection. Uh, I went to school with him for three years. So um, I would say best teammate, but more so best friend that I've played with at Syracuse. We still talk to this day. And, um, you know, I look at him as a, as a, as a younger brother. Love it. And did, were you guys roommates? Like, how did you yeah. – Roommates? Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. His second year, he moved in with me, and um, or we lived together as junior and senior year, and I lived off campus, so Got it was it. good. Um, we shared a bond, and we still we still share that bond to this day. Love it. Um, let's shift to the NBA. You know, you get drafted uh, after your illustrious Syracuse career. You play in the NBA for ten years. Um, talk about your career and and your playing experience and the teams that you played for. Um, and then kind of I want to get into, too, uh, I'm always intrigued by guys that uh, made the um, jump from college to NBA about what the biggest adjustment was. Well, for me, man, my career was different um, in terms of, like, uh, any player. Um, I wasn't a, a first-round pick, so my journey was different. I was a second-round pick. And uh, after playing at Syracuse for four years, averaging about 34, 35 minutes, you get drafted to a, um, a team that has Sam Cassell, Lindsey Hunter, Ray Austin as, as the point guards. So you start to like question like, damn, are you good enough? Um, do I belong here? And so the, the, the mentality of, of having to fight for everything um, you want in this league began the day I got drafted. Um, able, I was able to find some footing with San Antonio in 2003-04 season. And that kind of solidified me playing for the Spurs. And I was able to get some opportunities um, to play in the NBA. But I never took one day for granted. Um, it's a privileged league. It's an honor to be there. And what I learned throughout my career is, um, you know, what you want, you just have to go grab and take. Um, I wasn't on the side of the politics where everything's going to be in my favor. So I was more of a worker. And I played for multiple teams. But I look at it now as an honor because I had to earn the trust and respect of an organization to even be um, selected for, for that particular team, and it was an honor. You talked about, um, you know, obviously playing four years at Syracuse, you're playing 35, 40 minutes a night. How mentally tough do you need to be to make that transition? To your point, like, you get drafted to a team that has three point guards. You know, you may not see a minute for half a season. You know, how mentally tough do you need to be? And And that is something that and I think guys have it now, of course, but you see it go the other way too, where, you know, they get their rookie contract. Maybe they got drafted to a team that wasn't their fit. They didn't play well. They got hurt. And then they're bounced out of the league. Like it takes to me, in my opinion, like a certain type of dude with a certain type of mentality to your point of like, 
how am I going to get through this? Like, what, what got you through that point? Well, I was humble enough, and I was appreciative that I was in the NBA. But I knew I had to get better. At the end of the day, the three players in front of me were better than me at the time. So it wasn't nothing to call my mom about or my agent about. I had to get better. And the NBA is, uh, you know, so what can you do for me now? And once I was able to find my footing in the situation when given opportunity, um, I made something happen. So for me, it was staying humble but keep working at the same time. It wasn't, it wasn't humble and pout. It yeah. was staying humble and keep working. And that's the approach I took uh, through my basketball journey. Did you have any, whether it was with the Bucks or um, the other teams, did you have any veterans or guys that kind of took you under their wing, you know, when you first started and, and helped you through the process? Yeah, my, my rookie year, man, I had some really good vets. It was an older team, Irvin Johnson, the center, and then Sam Cassell, who, who's my friend to this day. Um, I kind of like was, was raised up under them in, in terms of NBA culture and knowing what to do and what not to do. So I had some real good vets, and both of those guys had real long tenure careers. So that, that's what they taught me. Love it. Super important. Um, let's jump into your coaching career. Um, even before how you got your start into it with AAU and then coaching at the high school level, did you know you wanted to coach or did that happen organically? No, towards the end of my playing career, obviously when everybody's career starts to wind down, your, your playing time starts to dwindle. And so from the sidelines, I started to try to look at the game from a coach's perspective on learning substitute patterns, learning how to deal with players and egos, learning what type of plays to call, and just learning the whole part from, from, from the player, being a player, but still trying to get the coaching part. Um, I did know I wanted to coach, and I knew I wanted to do college. Um, I just had spent nine years of my life um, traveling in the NBA, which was great, but I wanted to get back to the academic institution and being able to reach the youth and the young adults before they venture into the world of uh, professionalism. So my journey when I retired was to try to figure out a way how I can be um, useful, how I can be a resource. That's, that's how I knew I, would, I can get hired. So I tried to come home and just figure out who every AAU coach was, yep. every elite high school coach, and tried to build those relationships prior to me recruiting in their kids. I wanted to have genuine relationships. Yep. And then for me, I just started coaching AAU. I went to coach my, my old AAU program, Southern California All-Stars. And then the following year, I had a better opportunity to coach a better program in terms of sponsorship. Mm -hmm. That led to a high school job. And um, we ended up winning the championship. And then Marty Wilson at Pepperdine gave me an opportunity to, to be an assistant um, after my completion of my high school coaching. And then... The rest is history. I've been at SC going into my eighth year. So this is my ninth year in the business, and uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. Love it. Um, and a, and a, just a great path, too. I mean, you know, not too uh, – I don't want to say not too many, but I feel like that was a path back in the day where you would coach high school, then you'd be an assistant and work your way up, where now, you know, you can come from almost anywhere. You can come – you can go up to the NBA, down to college. You can coach overseas and come over. You can coach AAU. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. So there's not one pathway, but that's like a, one of the traditional ones for sure. Um, what was one of the main differences, in your opinion, between coaching high school basketball and AAU? Well, AAU, you're just trying to find the best talent uh, game after game or tournament after tournament. High school, you have your set roster because you don't have a bunch of, you know, defects. You have a set roster, so you get to build real genuine relationships with them throughout the year. 
and you can get to be more than just a coach. You get to become a friend, a mentor, a father, an uncle, and a brother. So I just think the high school experience taught me more, uh, a lot about the kids' lives off the court, and that helped me uh, gel with them on the court. So I got to see both sides. I feel like I already know your answer, but did you enjoy coaching one over the other? <laughs> you know what? I enjoyed uh, high school more, me in person. AU, you yeah. get to see a bunch of immense talent, which is great. Before high school, you plan for something. So, you know, you, you, everybody wants to win a championship to hang their banner in the gym. And I just thought uh, high school, they played with a little bit more pride, a little bit more sense of urgency. Yeah, I would agree. Um, if you could fix one thing about AAU or high school, but, you know, we, AAU, what would it be? Like wave a magic wand type stuff that you could fix anything with the whole system. What, what would you fix? I think AAU across the – for high school level, I think AAU should have a shot clock. Yeah. It should be, maybe, it should be a 30-second shot clock or 24-second shot clock. But it should be designed to speed the game up, tempo, and um, see a better brand. I think it should have a shot clock across the board in the AAU. And um, it, it, it will make the game even that much better because it's more talent. Yeah. I've, I've never understood it. I've argued this um, with countless people. We play basketball at different levels where every other sport plays the sport. If you play tennis at five years old and 18 years old, you play tennis. If you play basketball at five, that looks different than 12. That may look different at 16. And depending on where you grow up, like you said, you may not have a shot clock. You may have a shot clock. Then you go to college. It's still different. The rules are still different. You go overseas. The rules are different. You play in the NBA. The rules are different. I've never understood it. Mo, I would say, I, unless I'm unless I don't know, baseball is baseball, football is football, tennis is tennis, golf is golf. It doesn't matter if you're ten. Or, I mean, are we ever going to get to a point where let I, I guess I'll just focus on youth, but youth in America play the same game? I mean, I, I don't know what we're waiting for. The fact that there are still, you know, high school associations voting against the shot clock. It'll never make sense to me. Well, that's like anything else in this country. We always got to be different. But one thing that's for certain is youth sports are youth sports in high school, so it is what it is. But the college level is more globally in terms of uh, the way it functions. Yeah. And that's always going to have a shot clock. And NBA, obviously, professionally, always going to have a shot clock. So um, I guess high school, some federations just want to keep it um, that way. But it also gives teams an advantage, too, that the teams are not athletic or don't have the high-level skilled players where they could just waste time on the clock and win that way. So at the end of the day, um, it's always two sides to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned your the come up after high school, after coaching at Taft. You have a year at Pepperdine. Um, you joined Coach Enfield in 2013. You know, in college basketball, not a lot of coaches stay many places for as long as you have. I want to get your thoughts on what makes USC so special. Um, you know, the, the coaching staff is – largely stayed intact like talk about the culture there and, and what makes it a special place well for me man usc is special because i grew up two miles from the campus although i didn't go there they recruited me um from my you know junior year on in high school but it's special because it's a place where it has never had a continued success so to get somewhere where everything you do is is a is a, is a brick it's a foundation that's the honor of this. Um, everywhere else, all the big power five schools pretty much have a 
long tradition. So we wanted to go somewhere and start our own tradition, make the past alumni um, proud. We have had our staff intact um, for some years. Obviously, Tony Bland with his situation three years ago, he's not he's not there. Uh, and then Kevin Norris, who was with Andy Enfield for the Gulf Coast, he, he left and went to University of Central Florida. But what we try to do is keep our culture. And obviously with Chris Capco being there from day one when we, when we first got a job as assistant now, and obviously Mobley replacing Tony Bland. So um, it's, it's the culture has always stayed intact. And what we built it on, our foundation is still running strong today. And that's what makes it a pivot. Love it. Um... Since you've been there, you've been going on eight years now, nine, I believe. Um, you guys have had, a, a, you know, really, really successful seasons. You've had um, three 20-win seasons, four, including this year, if we don't get cut short. Um, you've gone to the NIT, you've gone to two NCAA tournaments. You know, what are some of the key reasons? And I know talent is one of them. You guys have done an amazing job recruiting. But what are some of the key reasons that you guys have been so successful over the past couple of years? Uh, it's strictly talent. I mean, obviously, you know, you can you can be the best coach and never win games because the talent yeah. win. Yeah. So I think we've been we we did a good job of identifying what fits how we want to play, and then obviously convincing kids that this is the best place for them academically and uh, athletically. So I think we've done a good job in creating that foundation, and um, try to focus on seven California kids who want to, you know, make a name for herself and. and be a part of the program who's on the rise. Yep, for sure. Um, let's talk about the last couple of months. Obviously, extremely challenging time for the world, the country, sports, college basketball, everybody. Um, you know, what has it been like to be a coach that has, you know, we can't do our jobs? I mean, coaches just fundamentally have not been able to coach. I mean, how hard has that been the past couple of months? Well, for me, man, it hasn't been hard. I mean, you got to think a lot of coaches who've been in the business for a long time, they spend so much time in their own job that you sometimes lose touch with your family. Yep. You know? So for me, and I'm pretty sure like a, a lot of other coaches, man, this is our first time ever where we, you know, we take care of everybody else's kids, but now we get to take care of our very own and yep. build our strong side of relationships with our wives, parents, significant others. So it's been great for me, you know, um, and then I get to bond with my own kids and, kind of train them and make them to be the players that, you know, they want to be in their own life. So it's been great. Um, I haven't had the itch to try to run back in there or try to do anything against the COVID-19 uh, um, pandemic. It's been good for me, man. I, like I said, I've been enjoying being home and um, I pray we get back, but, you know, basketball for me is not life, you know, yep. life. Is. Yep. No, it's a really good perspective. And, uh, I, you know, I think it could be shared on some other people as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, how has the past couple months changed recruiting? You know, we've learned of some programs doing virtual tours, doing Zooms. Um, you know, what have you guys done to kind of adapt to this new new recruiting world? Well, we, we you know, just like everybody else, man, we're doing the Zooms. We, we, we're trying to stay uh, ahead of the game in terms of uh, recruiting. Um, and it's just tough because, you know, it's, it's not – you was unable to see that sleeper for 2021 this past – this summer. Yeah. That's been tough. So you're relying on what you've seen their junior year, and it's kind of tough to see who got better and who got worse. So we just work – we're just trying to build those relationships and uh, trying to just stay, stay with the recruits that we've been recruiting 
I know a lot of guys are going to fall through the cracks, and uh, hopefully they get an opportunity to play somewhere. Yeah, that's a good uh, transition. I wanted to know, and I don't know if the NCAA has come out with the rules yet in terms of what they're going to do for scholarships. Have they done that, whether seniors can come back? They have not said anything? No, they haven't said anything. So I'm thinking that, you know, some states will have a regular season. Um, it's just on when the NCAA will allow us to come out and view that. Um, yeah. I'm one to where I'm not going anywhere until it's safe. Yeah. Um, so I can't speak for all other coaches, but I won't be going into a gym to watch a player if, if it's like a, not a vaccine or I can't, my family's not protected. It won't be that yeah. serious for me. Yeah. And what, and what are your thoughts on what the NCAA will do for guys that are already in college? Like if they're a senior, are they going to be allowed to come back? I mean, I don't, I don't think they've announced anything on that either. Well, hopefully the NCAA is paying close attention to uh, what the NBA commissioner is doing and to do it at a smaller level. Yeah. But these are ideas that we see with our, the success rates. If we want to play sports, we got to do it a certain way. So um, if, if we want to, you know, have a season, then I think we have, some, have to have some type of uh, um, example like the NBA. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, now we're seeing all these issues with baseball. Marlins have to postpone games. They're getting sick. So, you know, the bubble seems to be the answer. You know, baseball tried to go without it, and they're running into all these issues. So do you think it would make sense for just conferences to play each other and, and skip to January and just go from there? Well, what else can you do? When you say conference play against each other, uh, we don't fly charter every flight. And yeah. even when you do fly a charter every flight, the Florida Marlins still got sick. Yeah. So if it's, if it's not a bubble, then I don't know how you really could play basketball. Um, and so hopefully uh, we come up with something. Yeah. But I understand, you know, that the, the, these college athletes are, are called generators. They generate a lot of money and they don't receive anything. So um, hopefully we don't use them as guinea pigs to satisfy uh, money. Yeah, agreed. Um, Want to shift gears a little bit into uh, the Black, Ladder, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, obviously a, a very important time over the past couple months. And um, I think finally, you know, if there is a positive, like you mentioned earlier, of the pandemic, we get time to spend with our family, with our friends, with our wives, with our significant others. You know, we get time to focus on issues that have been plaguing this country for a very long time. Um, and we get honest conversations and raw conversations. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, the past couple months. It's been um, extremely tough. And how important is it? You know, I saw the Big East coaches came together and then put together a group. How, is it, how important is it for college coaches to help continue to make progress, um, you know, during moving forward? Well, it's, it's finally, well, it's not even that it's, people are accepting the Black Lives Matter. It's, it's nobody's caring if you don't accept it or not. It's, it's about living now right, what's right and what's wrong. Um, I think through the, through the channel of sports, it brings attention for guys like LeBron and yep. um, Anthony Davis, these, these figures that are stepping up and just being more than basketball players. And then for the Big East coaches to step up and, and take action and, and, and get that, that, that level of, of confidence from their president, the ADs of their institutions is great. Um, yep. It has to be some type of change, you know, nationally, globally, locally, so we can uh, uh, move this 
this whole Black Lives Matter movement forward. I mean, we're, we're black every day. So um, Black Lives Matter has always mattered in my home, but now in your home, it, it means something which, which means more to me. Yep. And uh, it also means that people are open up for dialogue. But the second point of that, that has to come out and will come out uh, with a group that, that, that I'm kind of behind um, is the lack of black head coaches in, in, in college sports. Yep. Um, I, think, I think for the Pac-12 not to have one black head coach in, in our league and have 75 to 80% of players black, I just think that's flat out wrong. And I just don't think that we get credit enough for, for being able to uh, uh, coach or, or, in lack of terms, run a program. So yep. um, I think um, that has to change throughout the country. I mean, we're, we're, we, we can't just be good enough to go get the players. We can't cook the groceries. Yep. And um, it's, it's, it's something that's bothering us all, and we all have an opinion about it. And eventually what's going to happen is um, the same players that's going to USC or Duke or Carolina, they're eventually just going to go to HBCUs help out black schools and programs and generate money for them. Cause yep. right now we generate a lot of money for schools and none of it goes back to our community and help us. So yep. eventually these players are going to start going to HBCUs and that has shifted landscape for, for TV. Cause ESPN is going to follow the talent. Yep. And, exactly. and we, we have the talent. Yep. Exactly. That's a, that's a really good point too. And I feel like players, um, you know, now more than ever have leverage to affect change, right? I mean, they can come out and say, we're not playing unless X, Y, Z, you know, and, and you can lay it out and you can demand change. And like you said, they, they are, I forget how you, like car, car revenue, car generators, right? They generate. Generators. Yes. College athletes are generators. Yes. Um, NBA athletes are generators too, but they get paid. Yeah. They get to keep so, a lot of it. Too. They get to keep some of it, right? Yeah. Which is good, but they, what they get, that's not nowhere near what they're making in the NBA, right? Yeah. So if LeBron yeah. is making $35 million, he's bringing in $126 million by itself alone. Yeah. So a college athlete, although you are getting a scholarship and your education is paid for, um, the money that they bring in through the NCAA tournament, TNT, CBS, is far more greater than what the uh, academic scholarship is worth. So um, we just got to, you know, start figuring this thing out and, and give – uh, African-American coaches a, a chance to lead programs and not fire us so fast. Yep. Completely agree. Um, I would love to, I would love to start seeing seven year deals instead right. of, instead of four. Right. Well, that's not even, not even four, man. One of my buddies is the head coach at uh, UNLV. It was, had, he won 20 games and still got fired after the second year. So. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a joke and, and it's, yeah, I, 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 would love to continue the conversation to talk about how we actually affect that change, right? Like, first of all, coaches everywhere, it's, it's, it's egregious how quickly coaches get fired. I mean, the NBA is a joke, like an absolute joke. One year, two years, you're fired. I mean, the Knicks have been a revolving door. Like, it ain't the coach, man. Like, give them time. Like, give them a, a college coach should at the very least, the very least, get a six I would love to see a seven and I would love to see a decade because the first two years are a wash anyway absolute yeah, right. wash well, absolute look at Krzyzewski's first two years at Duke exactly right. look at our first two years at USC so we we you're totally right the first yeah. two years is just establishing your culture and you, you kind of being who you are but the yeah. problem for us is at the end of the day African-American coaches we're not represented at institutions in a leadership position 
Yeah. We're, we're not, we're not presidents and we're not athletic directors. And, um, with that being said, you know, you can, they can hire who they want. So if there's nobody in those leadership positions that look like us, talk like us and, 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 and live the life like we have, our voice is never going to be at the table. So yeah. that's, 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 that's the whole part of it. It's, it's, it's no different from owning an NBA NFL team or NBA basketball team. It's just not a, not a lot of people that work in these leadership positions that look like us. Yep. And, and that's a good uh, transition too, about the past couple of months. Like I assume you guys have had some like meaningful conversations with your players, with the staff, with maybe with administration about not, not only what we're just talking about with, you know, black representation and coaches, athletic directors, administration, but the Black Lives Matter movement as a whole, have you, had, have you guys had good conversations about that? And um, how have those gone if you have had them? Well, we've had, we had those conversations um, when, uh, when we had the, when there's a lot of protests out here, I'm, I'm a South Central native. So, you know, I was born and raised right around the corner from the LA riots in 1992. And so what I told a bunch of our players as they was protesting going on, a lot of our players, Be mindful of the police. This is, they don't care if you're an athlete, you go to UCLA or USC, it doesn't matter. Be mindful of them um, and protect yourself because uh, you just never know what can happen. So those are some of the conversations that we had with our players. And that's, you know, as far as my head coach, that's not his reality. So that was, from, that was my duty to tell these guys to watch out, you know. So um, that, was one, that was one of the serious times we have to really get serious with our players. And then still to this day, you know, just be mindful of where you are right now Yep. Because at the, at, the, at this state of time we live living in, um, unarmed black uh, 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 adults are getting killed um, by the police. Those are facts. Yep, it's it's disgusting, and I think uh, you know something that we've, as a country, country, never never wanted to talk about, never wanted to deal with, and never could have the honest conversation of, hey, I just want you to know, my life is different because of the way I look. And like, and what, what I think is not what I think, what I have seen is happening is that people who are insecure about it or feel like they're being attacked, listen, black lives matter, period, or comma, that whatever happens after that does not mean black lives matter more. Right. It does not mean it, it, first of all, they, they have not mattered the same as everyone else's lives. So all the argument is, can we just get to equal? And I think where people are struggling is they view that as, well, well, my life matters too. And it's like, yeah, no shit, man. We know that. But you know, right now. Hey, listen, we definitely know that. We know that. <laughs> but right now, black people are being treated differently and differently meaning worse, way worse. And so what can we do as a society, as an ally, as a white person, a black person, a Chinese person, whoever, to help? Because we have not had these kinds of opportunity, man. I think just getting an opportunity. Yeah. Um, one of the stigmas I hate on TV is just to listen when somebody on TV calls a, a basketball player lazy, and, and particularly yeah. a, a, somebody called a black player lazy. For me and, and, and what I represent, that, that's hurtful and shameful. Yeah. Um, we worked in this country for 400 years for free. And if we didn't, we died, right? We was killed, hung, yeah. lynched. So to use the term lazy when it comes to black people, I just think that's a very um, um, a misleading and judging somebody just because um, 
you're seeing something happen to somebody else. So I, I don't like the word lazy. I think uh, the African-American culture is strong. I think we're coming together. But what's making this movie even more is people like you, um, white people are coming together and seeing that, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong and, you know, they're joining forces. And that's the only way we're going to have real change. Yep, exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Um, Want to get you out of here on this. We had a um, a big USC fan email us a couple questions before. So just want to end on, on some of these questions and uh, we'll go from there. But um, first question is, is he's from Mark. Uh, his name's Mark Colkin. You may know him, uscscoop.com. Okay. Um, he said, when you are recruiting a point guard for the offensive style that USC employs, what are some of the characteristics you're looking for? I'm looking for resiliency. Um, uh, the level of uh, patience you have and how can you respond when, when it gets tough. So when I go recruit, I'm looking for certain things and those are translatable skills. You may not be the best shooter. Work ethic will make that, that shot becomes better. Yep. But I'm looking for like toughness, overall toughness, how you deal with adversity and can you be a leader of our community on and off the court? Yep, good ones. And all things that all players need to have but the point guard especially. For sure. No um, all right. Second question from Mark was your thoughts. What are your thoughts on today's AAU programs versus the old high school summer leagues when players played for their school instead of an all, all-star travel team? And he says the exposure the young men receive today is unparalleled compared to when you were coming up. And there are definitely more inducements he puts in quote, not to mention the name image likeness component, which is a new factor to consider long-winded question. Um, but essentially it's, what are your thoughts on today's AAU programs versus the old high school? Well, the old high school was, was, was good fundamental basketball. I mean, you played with your high school coach, so you was playing a brand of basketball that was conducive to winning. It was a yep. carryover from your season, which is good, too, because a high school coach can evaluate you and see your winning um, characteristics. AAU is driven now by shoe markets. You have Adidas, Under Armour, and Nike pushing the product. So when they're pushing their product, they want to try to get the elite talent. The elite talent brings out Calipari, Beheim, Krzyzewski. Um, With that being said, if you're on that particular team, you have a chance to be seen by those guys as opposed to playing with your high school team. If you're the best player um, and nobody else on your team is as good as you, then you won't have a plethora of coaches in the gym. Yeah. So by doing this all-star type team, you're putting a bunch of talented players together, which will look like your college team. Yep. So it's important that, that we see players play at your high school program, and we have to see how you look with players that are just as good as you. Can you fit into that mold? And that's a definite uh, characteristic that we could take to our programs and see how you fit with us. Yep. Very good point. Um, okay, three quick ones, uh, and I promise we'll get you out of here. Post-game pressure, and that's it. But you got to be rapid fire. Can't think about it. Whatever that first thing comes in your head, you got to say. Um, so first one is favorite basketball movie. Loving basketball. Yeah, great one. Um, if you had to have one theme song to your life, what would it be? Uh, Tupac, Keep Your Head Up. Great one. Um, and then your dream three-on-three team, if you were putting three guys up versus any other three guys to win, who would, who would it be? Uh, am I on the team? You, you can be. Hell yeah. So my dream, my dream team would be Maddie Johnson, Kobe Bryant, and Will Chamberlain. Oof. 
Yikes. That's tough. That's going to be tough to beat. That's a good one. Um, before we get out of here, just want to give you an opportunity to, um, you know, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow you, social or LinkedIn, you know, whatever that is. And uh, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Well, uh, I just want to tell you, man, first of all, thank you for letting me get my truth out today. I think a lot of times uh, for, for us coaches, assistants, um, we get to tell our truth sometimes. A lot of time you don't hear from us, but so I just want to tell you I appreciate that for allowing me to come on. And then second, man, um, I'm not a huge social media guy, but on Twitter, um, I do uh, kind of retweet things that I feel is dear to me, and that's uh, police brutality, that's family, and that's uh, producing, uh, putting out a content of, of, of good, clean culture. Um, you can add me at uh, jhart1825 on Twitter, and then my Instagram is creighton 71 People always ask me why uh, my Instagram is Creighton. Creighton was my best friend that was killed around the corner from my house when I was a 10th grade. He was shot and killed. And so wow. I just use his name in memory. And uh, it reminds me of how far I've came and how far I have to go still. Wow. Powerful story. Um, well, really appreciate you, Coach. Thank you for coming on. And um, thank you for, for Marty for setting it up. And, uh, you know, wish you the best of luck for – Whatever this season and practice and shoot around is going to look like, I'm sure you'll have to have a mask on at some point, yep. getting in the drills and all that stuff. So, um, you know, hope you and your family stay safe, stay healthy. You know, good luck this year. I, I hope that we're able to see you guys play. Who knows what it's going to look like. But, uh, again, really appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much. Anytime, man. I'd love to come back. And uh, fight on, everybody. See you, Coach. All right.